Is your business in Florida? Do you want to connect with Taiwan? This is the right podcast for you, my friends. The United States is Taiwan's second largest trade partner, and Taiwan is the 10th largest trade partner of the U.S. Today's guest is Sean Fogarty, president of the American State Office Association in Taiwan. Today, we will learn about these trade offices, how the U.S. and Taiwan work to promote commercial trade, and about the amazing business opportunities in Taiwan for your business. Welcome to Miami Global Net Podcast, where we discuss Miami's international relations. We will showcase Miami's international diplomatic and business landscape and get to know the innovative startups calling Miami home. Meet the people behind the organizations that contribute to Miami's commercial and cultural international growth. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Alejandro, for the invitation. It's such an honor to be on your podcast. Thank you, thank you. I know that we are twelve hours apart, so this is cool. This is you are in your Saturday, and I am in my Friday night. That's right, Saturday morning here in Taipei. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I'm originally from California, but I've been working in Asia now for uh, over twenty three years. I've worked in Taiwan, Singapore, Hong Kong, China,、uh, a little in Vietnam as well. So I, I've got long and deep experience in this market. Currently, I'm the president of the American State Offices Association in Taiwan. Previously, I was working with the State of California Trade Office here in Taiwan, and currently, since '06, I've been the State of Washington's trade representative here in Taiwan. So I, over the course of、uh, the past you know, 23 years, I've worked both in the public sector, private sector, across you know, multiple industries in publishing, education, economic development work, sales, marketing, business development. It's been a very exciting journey here, working and supporting businesses in in, in this region. It's, it must be interesting working over there. I have to add for our listeners: I met Sean when I went to Taiwan with a trade. Delegation of young opinion leaders, I believe that was the name. We were invited by the government of Taiwan.、Um, it was all organized by our local Taipei Economic Cultural Offices in the in the city of Miami. And we went to pay you a visit, and we had a great presentation on American business opportunities in Taiwan, and it was just awesome. So we're we're going to do a little bit of that, but I just wanted to introduce that little background how you and I met. So. We were talking earlier. You mentioned that there are a couple of trade shows sh- happening right now in your office. Yeah, that's right. So I'm I'm sitting in my office, and downstairs at the Taipei World Trade Center, there are currently two trade shows taking place: the Wine Expo and the Travel Show,、uh, and they're packed, absolutely packed.、Um, Taiwan's been organizing and hosting trade shows since July. So. I believe the BioAsia Taiwan show in July was the first regional international trade show that took place. So、um, it goes to show that you know Taiwan, we've been very fortunate here. The governments managed and handled the COVID crisis very well, so much so that there's never been a lockdown in Taiwan. There's、Amazing. only been less than 500 cases, and I believe just seven deaths. So. The government, the whole society has been working together to make it happen, and, and and really, it's just a matter of wearing masks and practicing social distancing. 
And with just those, and of course, you know, they've been very effective with contact tracing. With just those three tools, they've been able to keep cases down, deaths uh, down as well, and uh, no lockdown. So businesses are able to continue to operate and schools have been open. Students have been going to school. So, you know, it, it is achievable. And so because of that now, trade shows are taking places. People are going out. Large capacity crowds are showing up at these events. And, you know, they're wearing face masks at these trade shows. But it goes to show you that business can still continue. Schools can still operate um, if people just wear masks. When we were talking a little bit before the show, I was just impressed by all the details and how you were on a Saturday in the office because there were trade shows happening. I thought it was great that the society and the community and the government are working together so well that by July, you guys are open. Yeah, it's a whole of society effort. And the fact that they've bounced back, their GDP didn't collapse like it did in the States. And they're, in fact, expected to grow. Uh, one of the few economies expected to grow in this region here. So I think it holds a lot of opportunities for, for U.S. businesses because consumers here are still going out. They're still dining out. You, know, you just go to any of the food courts down in the shopping malls and they're packed. They're packed every single day. Hotels are booked up because everyone's staycationing now. And so uh, there's a lot of demand. Um, if you go to the Costco stores here, there's a lot of shoppers out there you know, buying U.S. products and U.S. goods. That's great. So I, just like I didn't know about these American state offices, right? They're all over. Can you tell us a little bit about what they do? You know, as you pointed out, the states basically are responsible for their own economic development. And because of that, some states have taken the initiative to set up foreign offices, some to promote trade, others to attract foreign direct investment, some to promote education or tourism. And so um, a lot of states have set up offices, not just you know, in Taiwan, but in Europe, in South America, in Asia. So there's a lot of different uh, opportunities for states to consider. With regards to Taiwan, there are currently eight state offices here, including Florida, Hawaii, Idaho, Maryland, Missouri, Pennsylvania, Washington, and Wyoming. So you'll notice it's actually a, a, a geographically diverse group uh-huh. and economically also it's a very diverse group of economies that's represented here in this market. And the common thread between all of these state offices is that they've all found a niche in Taiwan for either, as I mentioned, trade promotion, investment attraction, education or tourism promotion. So I have to ask, what is Florida's niche in Taiwan? Florida's representative, you had a long-serving representative here, and they've worked on a number of different projects. One in particular that stands out is um, they work with a supplier who actually supplies, I think, components for the fighter jets, the U.S. fighter jets that are sold to Taiwan. And so to the tune of, I think, $100 million dollars. And so this is just one example of the benefits of having a trade rep out here. Uh, your trade rep in the Florida trade rep here in Taiwan was able to help facilitate that and uh, secure that deal for the uh, supplier in Florida. So I think there's a number of opportunities. And that's just one example of you know, trade promotion and uh, facilitating this market access here in Taiwan. So if I'm a business in Florida and I want to do business with Taiwan or look for opportunities in Taiwan. So how, how does that happen? How do I go from, I want to do business in Taiwan 
to reaching out to someone like yourself? Well, so it's going to be a function of what your goals are and what your resources are. If you're talking about, you know, the large MNCs, they've got the resources, right, to come out here, set up a full-fledged office, hire a bunch of staff. Uh But if you're a small to medium-sized enterprise, what you're most likely going to need to do is first reach out to your local economic development authority, Right. Reach out to the um, Commerce Department, the Agriculture Department for Florida, specifically Enterprise Florida. They're They're the ones that they operate the foreign offices, the network of foreign offices that help businesses go international. So there's a multitude of resources that small businesses can use and leverage to tap into these international market opportunities. Okay, so I would reach out to Enterprise Florida, yes. let them know my what I'm looking for, what what I need, and then they would help me reach out to either you or whatever my needs require. Yeah, so working with Enterprise Florida, for, for one thing, they will normally try to organize either similar to what other EDCs do, you know, trade missions, investment missions. I can't speak exactly to what Enterprise yeah. Florida does, but in general, a lot of these foreign offices here, what we do on behalf of our state, on behalf of these economic development corporations, entities in our respective states, is that we help to build a platform. And with that platform, we conduct outreach. So for instance, This year, in June, we were supposed to host a U.S. pavilion at the Taipei International Food Fair. It was postponed, but it's going to take place in December. And so uh, we have six states that are going to be participating. I believe Florida is one of them. And this is something that we help our members, the ASOA members, do. And that is we reach out to our partners. We've negotiated so that it's actually fully funded by the Taiwan government. And we've secured discounted booths. So... Now, businesses that participate, states that participate, can do this absolutely free of charge. And so the states that are participating will now be able to help these small businesses promote food beverages at the Taipei International Food Show in December. And so these are the kinds of activities that are organized by the foreign reps to help small businesses trying to reach buyers, importers, distributors in this market. So if I am a... Florida farmer, for example, and I have produce I want to sell, right? With this trade show and through and through Enterprise Florida, through my state, I can go to this event for free? Is that, is that, did I understand correctly? Well, you would have to speak to the state representative because there are going to be six booths there. Oh, gotcha. Um, hosted by the six different states under the ASOA umbrella. And so how they organize the logistics, because there's going to be some, obviously, fees involved in helping to ship brochures. But essentially, we've lowered the cost to zero for these states that have taken advantage of this and plan to have a booth at our ASOA pavilion. And so by bringing the cost down to zero, this should make it very cost effective for the states and the four reps to help their companies come out here and promote versus a company coming out paying for their own booth, paying for the construction of their booth, and then hiring staff, right? So we've cut down these costs. They can still you know, come out and buy their own booth if they want. For a lot of businesses, typically, that's the route that they will take. They will go and find you know, a targeted trade show, and then 
rent their booth space, buy their you know standard booth build out, and then bring their brochures and banners and bring their staff and pay for airfare. But here, working with your state rep, you might have a more cost-effective channel to, to do this here in Taiwan. Of course, that's not to say if you have the resources, the capacity, yeah, definitely buy and pay for your own booth. You know, you're going to have it personally branded uh, with just your company. But uh, at the same time, you know, you'll still need to hire someone here locally since you probably don't want to quarantine yourself for two weeks to be able to attend just one trade show. Fair, I like it. And it's also a way to support each other. And then I'm sure there's a lot of information and resources available once you make the connection with um, Enterprise Florida and with you guys over there and, and creating this little networking community that it's probably even more fruitful than if I were to do it by myself. 100%. Yes. Yeah. And that's a very good point. I mean, the fact that with ASOA, we have this platform, each state goes out, they've got their own agenda, their own uh, priorities in terms of either trade, investment, education, or tourism promotion. But we find that by working together, we can reach a broader audience. Although mm. we're all competitors to a certain extent, um, by working together, we can build a bigger platform to reach a broader audience. And so that helps these companies that do come out with their respective states to then leverage off of this platform that we've built. Certainly, I think with companies who want to come out, they can definitely do this on their own, but working with their respective EDCs or economic development authorities, this is another way, another cost-effective channel for them to um, reach an audience. Of course, I would also encourage them to reach out to their respective industry association. So if it's the you know Orange Industry Association, if it's other you know agricultural industry associations, I say that only because in the past we worked with the uh, Engineered Wood Building Material Association and they set up their international headquarters here in Taiwan. And from Taiwan they organize oh, wow. all of yeah, uh, you got you have to remember, you know, after the housing bust, there was basically no demand for building materials. Housing starts went from I think like 1.2 million a year to under I think 300 or 250 thousand. So it was just decimated, and so they found new markets overseas, and it was only because of the foresight of that trade association, based in the U.S., that took the initiative to come out and identified Taiwan as the best place to set up their international marketing office. And from here then, we've been working with them for the past 10 years to develop market access in China, Korea, South Korea, Japan, Vietnam, because housing was still strong here and construction was still strong out here. And so this has been a savior for their members. They have over 200 members from across 22 different states. I think now is a good time for businesses and industry associations to think about, you know, obviously a loss of market here because, you know, a lot of restaurants are closed, food service are shut down, campuses are closed. We need to think about diversifying our basket. We need to think about international markets. And so, you know, this is a long-term risk management strategy. You need to balance out your portfolio so that we don't get hit by these black swans. If it's not the pandemic, it's the U.S.-China trade war, right? A lot of businesses put their eggs in one basket, the China basket, and we can see what happened now. Their largest you know, export market was just one country. I think you know it's wise to have a broader diversified basket of markets that you sell to so that you're not wholly dependent on just one economy. And we look now, of course, with the U.S. economy and shutdown, we will bounce back, but it's just a matter of will businesses be able to survive and hang on for that long? 
But having that backup of a diversified basket of markets that you sell to could help weather the storm. This is very impressive to me how how these networks are built that they exist and they're very fruitful and they're very they're very powerful, right? My my follow up question would be: I remember when we were listening to to your presentation when we were there with that delegation, uh, you mentioned about the demand for American products, how well they were received in Taiwan. I remember you mentioning that. Would you mind expanding on that a little bit? Sure. Right now, U.S.-Taiwan bilateral trade is about, like I think, $85 billion. And in terms of agricultural purchases, I think Taiwan ranks something like, I want to say, 10 or 11 largest purchaser of ag products. But on a per capita basis, Taiwan is the second largest purchaser of U.S. agricultural products, number two in the world, right? Only after Canada, okay? Well, this is impressive, right? Given wow. you know, the distance yeah. and the population here. Another good example is U.S. wheat. The U.S. Grains Council has been out here for 45 years. And to their credit, U.S. wheat has something like nearly 100% market share in Taiwan, right? We're talking about a commodity product. And there is certainly a lot of competition. You've got China, Australia, Russia, even the Indians want to sell grains and wheat to, to Taiwan. But when we speak with food processors and we ask them, so why is it you're not buying cheaper products from these other suppliers? They tell us, oh, well, Taiwanese consumers can taste the difference if we don't bake with U.S. wheat, right? So that goes to show you the Taiwanese industry, Taiwanese consumers have been educated so much about the quality of U.S. wheat that they see the value and they're willing to pay up for that. Another good example is, you may not be aware, but currently in Taiwan, there are, I believe, 12 or maybe 13 Costco stores, okay? And that's of a lot. those stores, that's a lot in a country with only 23 yeah. million people. And in fact, I was actually at the opening of the first Costco store in Taiwan, down in the south in Kaohsiung, and this was in 2000. So... They were the last foreign sort of hypermarket, you know, warehouse membership club to enter this market. Today, three Costco stores in Taiwan rank in the top 10 worldwide in terms of revenue generated. So you think about that, right? Back home in the States, we go to the Costco stores, we drive in our Hummers and our SUVs, <laughs> we shop by the pallet, okay? Uh-huh. Yet, here in a country with only 23 million people, we have three Costco stores that are in the top 10 revenue-generating Costco stores. And there are over 650 Costco stores in the world. Okay, So they've been wildly successful here. But this goes to show you, if you go to any Costco store in Taiwan, any day of the week, it is packed. And bear in mind, the products here are necessarily more expensive. Why? Because they're all imported. So if you go in, you're going to see all the same familiar U.S. brands of vitamins, supplements, cereals, uh, and, and, and other frozen products here and produce. So the depth of demand for U.S. products here is so strong. And the Taiwanese recognize value and they're willing to pay a premium for that because they recognize the value of U.S. products. Because of the success of Costco Taiwan, 
The same team here is now spearheading their drive into China. Costco opened their first store in China, in Shanghai, I believe in September last year. If you take a look at video footage on YouTube, you can see the scrum, right? They had to shut down early because the turnout was just crazy. So this team here has been so effective in identifying what will sell every day of the week that they're now taking this model to China. My other point would be, you know, there's probably no other people that understand the China market better than the Taiwanese. You may not be aware, but the number one selling noodle brand in China is actually from a Taiwanese company, right? So you think about that, right? China's got 4,000 years of noodle making history, but it's the Taiwanese who have figured out how to better sell noodles to the Chinese than the Chinese to themselves. And likewise, you know, uh, in the past, Senior management, Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC, in China was actually Taiwanese. It's the only market in the world where KFC beats McDonald's hands down. For every one McDonald's, there are three KFC stores, right? They have their KFC kingdom there, you know, a huge moat a huge competitive advantage over McDonald's, the only market in the world where they dominate. Of course, now they've spun off, you know, Yum China, the management is now Chinese, but that pioneering team that helped build that success was Taiwanese. And so I think it says a lot. The largest electronics contract manufacturer in China is actually a Taiwanese company, right? The guys that build the iPhones and the iPods and the iPads. So, um, so the Taiwanese are some of the largest investors in China. They're also some of the largest investors in Southeast Asia. And so a lot of businesses are realizing that they can use Taiwan as a springboard into those markets. So for a lot of small businesses, it may be a good way for them to find a partner here in Taiwan that they can work with, who can work with them to enter markets in China or Southeast Asia. Which takes me to my next point. Quite a few of the states here cover the Asia-Pacific region, not just the Taiwan market. For those states, they've identified that it's just far more cost-effective to have one office here and use Taiwan as that springboard to conduct trade, investment, education, or tourism promotion from Taiwan with their partner here, either developing markets in China or Southeast Asia by organizing missions down there or subcontracting through their reps here in Taiwan. So working with the state offices or with their consultants here, they're able to sell not not just into Taiwan, but also use Taiwan as a platform to sell into the wider Asia-Pacific market. So that's actually something that we strongly encourage. And I say that because, for instance, Idaho, Missouri, they've covered the Asia-Pacific region for their respective states. And they've been going to Southeast Asia for the past 10 years. And I speak with the reps who are both Taiwanese, and I ask them, you know, you guys don't speak Bahasa Indonesian, you don't speak Vietnamese, how are you able to navigate those two markets? And they just replied, oh, the Taiwan supply chain. So simply by following the Taiwanese supply chain, they're now able to sell U.S. agricultural products into those markets. So it turns out the Taiwanese started investing in Vietnam in the early 90s, right? They were the first foreign investors, even before the U.S. had an embassy in 96. So they've been one of the first and one of the largest investors in those markets. And because they're so tightly integrated into the global supply chain, I recall the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania organized a hardwood delegation uh, a number of years, maybe five or six years back to Vietnam. And they brought their Vietnamese translator to meet with manufacturers there. And every single company they visited was either Taiwanese owned 
or Taiwanese invested. So way back, I think five or six years ago, it turns out like something close to maybe 100% of wood exports from Vietnam to the U.S. was either Taiwanese owned or Taiwanese invested factories. And we're talking mainly, you know, furniture with respect to wood products. But they said, you know, you know, we should have just gone straight to Taipei and brought our Taiwanese translators because the headquarters are still here. So I think this is just a very good example of why Taiwan would be a very good springboard for a lot of small and medium-sized enterprises thinking about not just the Taiwan market, but the Asia-Pacific region as a whole. Uh, because the fact that these you know, states and other consultants are able to tap into the Taiwanese supply chain and build that market access um, uh, for their clients goes to show you that it can be done and it has been done. And so, you know, state, city, economic development agencies and small businesses, this is another route that you can think about when you're uh, thinking about, you know, having an Asia-Pacific strategy longer term. How's that language barrier? You mentioned translators. When I was in Taiwan, I really didn't have a problem. I went to the Listen Up people. I went to 7-Eleven in Taiwan and I had no problem purchasing things and communicating with the lady. And by the way, if you didn't know, you can pay your bills, your light bill at 7-Eleven in Taiwan, which you cannot do here. But if you can expand on the language barrier. As you pointed out, I think during your mission here, you're probably nicely surprised by all the familiar symbols, right? KFC, Starbucks, 7-Eleven. Yes. Um, it's a very, very Americanized market. So much so that when they study English, they all want to study North American English. They want American English. And so um, uh, it's, you know, in all the language schools that they have, they, you know, they pr proudly proclaim, you know, Mayu, American English versus like, you know, English, English from, from the, from the UK. And so, um, most Taiwanese have done one of five things, lived, worked, studied, traveled, or immigrated to America. So they're actually very, very familiar with the U.S. Taiwan aims to be bilingual. That's part of their national development goal. They aim to be bilingual. So actually, that's another large opportunity for U.S. businesses. I expect eventually when travel restrictions are lifted, the opportunities for language schools, for students who want to come out and attend ESL training is going to be very strong. In addition, of course, for those that have curriculum, for teachers that are coming out here who can provide these services to corporations, businesses, schools, that demand should grow substantially given that they have a very, very strong goal and being bilingual here in Taiwan. And because of their familiarity, the fact they've studied, worked, traveled, immigrated to the U.S., as you mentioned, speaking here, I don't think there's much of a barrier in terms of speaking. Businesses here are so intimately aware. They're very familiar with not just Western management practices, but U.S. business practices, which is why, as I pointed out, for instance, when Starbucks entered the China market, they entered the China market with a Taiwanese partner, right? Not a Chinese mm. partner, right? Their Taiwanese partner was very familiar with U.S. business practices and very familiar with how business is done in um, in, in China. Uh, of course, after a number of years, when Starbucks was familiar and got a familiar footing in the China market, they found mm. another partner. And so they work with two partners, their Taiwanese partner and their Chinese partner. But I believe last year, because Starbucks plans to double down the China market, mm. they bought out their Taiwan partner. But it goes to show you, I think uh, language is really not much of a barrier over 
over here. Certainly, you do want to, you know, if you're selling retail consumer type products, you do want to have your collateral and your information translated into traditional Chinese in Taiwan. That's important. I wouldn't recommend using simplified since simplified is used only in the China market. But yeah, I think localizing it for the Taiwan market would be very helpful for small businesses. But with that said, working with your partners here who can help you to facilitate those communications. And once you build that familiarity, you'll find that most businesses will have their own staff in-house, younger college-educated staff who either live, work, or studied abroad and uh, who can easily speak their language. Like you mentioned, the cultural and the language and the business practice and the way that we do business can be a significant barrier somewhere else. If you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know how to do business, anything from understanding the traditional um, holidays to the greetings, all that is very important if you want to do serious business. Yeah, Taiwan shares a lot in common with the U.S. I mean, respect for democracy, freedom of religion, rule of law, commitment to free and fair trade, and environmental stewardship. It's not just U.S. values that they share, but the fact that, you know, they actually also support U.S. interests. And I think in this current climate, it's great to do business in a country that not only shares our values, but shares our interests and supports our U.S. interests as well. And so I think uh, businesses will find that this is a very inviting market and also a, a good partner to work with when you know trying to uh, navigate other markets in the Asia-Pacific region. Going back a little bit to the state office, the service is both ways, right? Helping American companies do business in Taiwan and Taiwanese companies do business with the states. Yeah, so with respect to the Taiwanese, so typically it's going to be one of two. Either the Taiwanese importer or buyer is seeking some sort of product and they'll reach out to our office. And we're normally doing a lot of outreach efforts with either local chambers, other partners, the American Institute in Taiwan, the Taiwan External Trade Development Authorities. And, you know, they'll feed us these inquiries. And so we'll farm it out to the different offices and they'll follow up and see if they can help source these products, U.S. products for these Taiwanese buyers. On the other hand, we also work with Taiwanese that are looking to invest in America. I can say that there has been, you know, anecdotally, a lot of interest from Taiwanese companies that want to invest in America. Actually, not just want to, but need to invest in America. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the U.S. Department of Commerce hosts an annual Select USA Investment uh, Forum Summit in D.C. every year. And from my understanding, for the past two or three years, the Taiwan delegation to that summit was the largest delegation. Okay, And this is a global summit. So you're, you're getting delegations from China, India, the U.K., and Europe. For the past two or three years, the Taiwan delegation was the largest delegation, which tells you the interest level, the depth of interest from Taiwanese companies that want to invest in America. And I think you've seen in past years, Foxconn's announcement in Wisconsin. Most recently, TSMC, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation's announcement in Arizona, $12 billion. So we've seen a lot of interest in Taiwanese companies, but there's one big hurdle and that's a fact that in the U.S. has 50 states, 50 sets of business laws, 50 <laughs> sets of, you know, business regulations. Mm -hmm. And for most Taiwanese, 
If they go anywhere else in the world, it's just one-stop shop. It's only when they get to America, they're scratching their head like, hmm, how do I start? Do I just go alphabetically, start doing research? This is where having a, a rep office helps because they need so much hand-holding to be able to navigate all the regulations and tax issues because they just can't figure out why there's 50 sets of rules. Isn't the U.S. just one big country? Oftentimes, you can sway some of these investments to your states and to your uh, community. So the fact that, you know, for the past three years, the Taiwan delegation to Select USA has been the largest tells you that it's not a question of if they're going to invest in America. It's now just a question of whether they're going to invest in your state or in your community. You know, regional EDCs, commerce departments, state-level commerce departments need to look hard and see what are they doing to tap into this demand. And of course, you know, with that said, you know, you have to think about this in context of the current climate. There are a lot of factors that are out of our hands, you know, way above our pay grades that are going to affect the investment dynamic. One obviously is the current, you know, US China trade war. If you look at what the Committee for Foreign Investment in the US has now done, they've made it much harder for the Chinese to invest in the U.S., they need to be reviewed now by CFIUS, even real estate deals, to see if there's going to be any national security threats. So that's going to, unfortunately, have an impact. And you can see what happened if you look at some of the more high-profile venture capitalists like Li Kai-Fu. He shut down his operations in Silicon Valley. Why? Well, because now they're no longer able to funnel Chinese money into 5G IoT, AI, quantum, mm. anything sensitive, anything tech-related, Chinese money just can't be invested in those sectors. And so I think a lot of states that maybe in the past relied on these investments are going to see that dry up now. Uh, not to say that the U.S. has shut off Chinese investments, but for a lot of states in the past that relied on the Chinese that are flooding in, it may be a while before they're able to do that because the issue now becomes... Will Chinese allow it? And anecdotally, we're hearing that given the capital controls, on top of that, they're now pushing back, telling Chinese companies not to move ahead with their investments in the U.S. So you can see that they're also weaponizing these FDI projects and withholding these investments in communities in the U.S. Given this context, I think a, a lot of states now, EDCs need to think about, okay, longer term, you know, how do we, again, diversify our investment attraction basket so that whereas in the past where they may be just entirely reliant and sit back and let the Chinese flood in, that door is slowly, slowly closing. Maybe, you know, this is a bit of a stretch, but I think the China-U.S. rivalry is going to define the 21st century. And this tariff war has now already expanded into a tech war. And it's going to affect all of our economic development strategies and how we do business with China and the rest of the world. Everything's in play right now. Pieces are moving around. It's important that, you know, we're listening, we're, we have boots on the ground, we're adapting and adjusting. A lot of people were hoping and expecting that maybe after the pandemic, things will just go back to normal. Maybe after election, things will go back to normal. No, actually, I, I think, you know, given the changes that you see taking place, the old normal is not going to come back. We have to adjust to a new normal. And so there are a lot of regulations done at the congressional level that's going to affect the way states can attract foreign direct investments. 
And now it's a question of, all right, how do we adapt and adjust to this new reality? But the good news is, you know, there's still a lot of interest. The U.S. is still a very, very competitive market. And for most economies, it's the end market for most of their products. So there's actually potentially a golden opportunity for the U.S. to come out, for each state to come out and promote their states and their cities and their communities and attract these manufacturers to the U.S. And especially given that we've signed the USMCA now, uh, that's going to be a strong boost uh, for North America and for more businesses to want to set up some sort of facility business presence in, in the U.S. market. So what are the services that the state offices offer? Generically, most states will be able to assist uh, U.S. businesses with business matchmaking, trade inquiries, and something like that might entail you're looking for an importer or a distributor or an agent in the Taiwan market. And so the foreign wealth will go out and do some market research to identify a list of prospects, reach out to them, and then try to matchmake between the U.S. the U.S. exporter and the, the, the Taiwan importer or distributor. Likewise, for others that are looking to do education or tourism promotion, they can also work with them to sometimes conduct these types of outreach activities. So one good example also would be, uh, for instance, this year at the BioAsia Taiwan show, uh, we worked with our Department of Commerce in Washington State, and we were able to assist companies that were looking to promote their supplements, their drug therapies, and other you know, health food-related products, medical products, drugs to Taiwan at the trade show by identifying partners and then also doing market research to find other prospects that we could reach out to from either our proprietary database or from our partners' databases and then helping them to identify the right partner who could be their exclusive agent or find a number of agents, importers, or distributors in the channels that they're looking to target here in Taiwan. Likewise, for the states that are looking to do you know, FDI attraction, this year we plan to work with AIT, the American Institute in Taiwan, Bureau of Foreign Trade, to participate and host a U.S. Business Day event on October, I believe, 15th. It's an annual event. Typically in the past five years, they have normally invited the commerce secretaries from five different states to come out and pitch their states to Taiwan businesses. Unfortunately, uh, we don't expect anyone to be traveling. But the good news is that for those states that do have a rep in Taiwan, we can do that on their behalf. And so we will be able to participate and promote our states as an investment destination to Taiwan businesses. So with that said, of course, uh, you know, more states are welcome to appoint more you know, reps here in Taiwan who can do that on their behalf. And they're able to have their own tabletop or, or booth at that uh, investment forum. They may not get a speaking slot. I think the deadline has already ended. But at the least, if they can try to appoint a rep and then secure a tabletop display, they may be able to generate some leads from that show. But that's something that our association, working with our respective member states, have been organizing with our Taiwan government counterparts here to promote the U.S., as a, an investment destination. And of course, you know, the Taiwan government, for them, it's a win-win. They realize that the U.S.-Taiwan bilateral trade ties are very important. And so uh, encouraging you know, more Taiwanese to invest in the U.S. is a win-win for Taiwan as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, in the show notes, I'm going to put your information and also for those businesses in Florida 
I'm going to put Enterprise Florida's information so you can reach out if you're interested in Taiwan. And for anyone not living in Florida listening, one way is to reach out to your local state economic development office. I'm sure maybe they can shoot you an email, uh, Sean, as well. Maybe you can direct them if the state is a member. Yeah, they can certainly, I would recommend contacting their local EDC or their Department of Agriculture or their Department of Commerce. And likewise, they can come directly to our website, asoataiwan.org, and, and reach out to us if they want to see, you know, there's ways that we can work with them as well. Awesome. And I know that we're running out of time. At the beginning, when we were speaking, you mentioned that there was some interesting news for the pork industry. Yes. Yesterday, the Taiwan president made a major announcement that they were going to lift restrictions on U.S. pork. And this is a very, very big deal. It's one of the few remaining hurdles to hopefully ongoing discussions between Taiwan and the U.S. for a bilateral trade agreement. And so I think with one of these hurdles now being removed, we may see progress on a BTA. Hopefully this should be a huge boost for U.S. exports now to Taiwan. And longer term, the BTA, hopefully we'll see far stronger opportunities for U.S. businesses. For those that haven't been to Taiwan, I have to say from my first time to Asia at all was the visit to Taiwan. And it was it was great it was a great experience. The people were great. I felt like I was at home because of all the of all the uh, the Seven Elevens and, and and all the American brands. But the people were great. The opportunities are clear. You know, I was impressed by your presentation. So thank you very much when we first met. So if you haven't been, you should really consider visiting Taiwan and exploring these business opportunities. And uh, you could also reach out to your local Tico office here in Miami. They've been very active. When I was doing the international relations for the city of Miami, we made really good friends. They worked with us with the city. They even sponsored the director general of the Tico office here, sponsored Mandarin classes. It's one of my favorite projects. We had two sessions of Mandarin classes for staff at the city. Uh, so there, there's a lot of interest for the development of relations between the U.S. And, and Taiwan, and it's been great. So thank you, um, Sean, for joining us today and, and letting us know about all these amazing opportunities. Well, thank you so much, Alejandro. This has been wonderful. Uh, you're doing a fantastic service. I hope the message gets out there to U.S. businesses, to uh, you know, economic development councils, that Taiwan's open for business and there's a lot of opportunities here that can be tapped into here, not just in the Taiwan market, but APEC as a whole and Taiwan as that springboard. And I think rather than wait for the pandemic and everything else to fall into place and things to go back to normal, we need to seize the initiative and go out and make things happen for our U.S. economy and for our U.S. communities and for our U.S. businesses. I agree. I mean, if there's any time to explore a out-of-the-box solution for your business, as with this downtime that you're probably experiencing because of the low of business, this is a good opportunity for you to explore Taiwan and these kind of opportunities. Thank you again for joining. My pleasure. <laughs>